Hi, I'm Irwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country, and you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel, and you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. So we met at Mosaic at the Beverly Hills campus um, about eight years ago. We've been married uh, one year and one month. Maybe a month into our marriage, Foundation Sunday occurred and uh, we knew the opportunity to be there to give and so we were driving in the car in San Diego and just casually I brought it up as hey we haven't we haven't talked about this but we want to probably be on the same page and I said uh, I have a number in my head she said I have a number in my head and I said uh, do you want me to say mine first and she was like whatever and so I said mine and she had the same number in her head and in my in my heart I was like Jesus had brought us together for this is just not you know the purpose of our marriage but one of many Giving does something, like, in your soul. And we're blessed to have a space like Mosaic to give to that you can actually see um, quickly, like, what's happening with what you're giving. Whether we're talking about the baptisms or um, the Mosaic global trips um, or the opening of campuses, um, there's movement, and that's all coming from people sacrificing of their, their resources and what they have. I love the culture here at Mosaic. The culture at Mosaic is about serving, uh, it's about giving, it's about generosity. I know we're changing the future by giving to Mosaic because Mosaic is always about other people. We're the hunters. And love built this. So even as we start up today, I want to take a moment. I just want to thank everyone in South Pasadena. You know, one of the great things about our community is that we're expanding into different locations and we're opening up spaces where people can find friendships, community, faith. They can connect to who Jesus is. I am so excited about the Rialto Theater and what's happening over there in South Pass. The, the theater is in La La Land. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is now Mosaic. And so we just want to, like, can we just welcome everyone who's in South Pass together? I'm telling you, very, very soon we're going to have a campus in Venice, Santa Monica, that area over there. We're still looking for a place on Sundays. So we're there on Wednesdays right now. But if you just happen to be here and you own a large building in Venice Beach, you know, just come, just email me at uh, Irwin, I can't believe you exist.com. No, Irwin and Mosaic, because uh, we're going to find a place and we're going to create community and, and it's just going to be a beautiful, beautiful experience together. We would have never guessed we'd be here on Hollywood Boulevard seven, eight years ago, and here we are. And so many people have crossed through um, this territory. And I cannot tell you how many friends I have who walked in one door saying, I'm an atheist, and walked out the other door saying, I've met the, the God who loves me, and I have entrusted my life to Jesus. And it's been an incredible thing over the years. So if you've been coming, we've been in a series on The Last Arrow, uh, this book that I wrote a few months ago. And... And it's really focused on how to live a life without regret. It, it, it breaks down the characteristics of women and men who seem to live the life that they were created to live. And, 
who seems to somehow never settle for less. And as we've kind of extricated the different attributes of individuals, and then we move to chapter 9, it almost feels like we're, we're making a turn here. Because many times the, the characteristics that you take on are so internal, but it takes a while before you see them expressed externally. But chapter 9 is called Find Your People. And one of the things that sometimes I, I think we forget is that one of the best ways to identify where you're going is who you're going with. We act as if the future is magical or mysterious, and sometimes we're almost fatalistic, like the future is just the result of fate. I find that so oftentimes really intelligent, thoughtful people of deep and sincere faith have still a superstitious relationship to the future. And while you may not know everything about your future, and certainly no one can predict the future well, I can tell you that there are two ways of knowing where you're going, what your future is going to look like. Because nothing will impact your future more than these two things. The choices you make and the people you choose. And if you'll just take this with you, it will change everything about your life. Because I find so oftentimes we're almost confused about how we got where we are. Have you ever been there? How did I get here? See, I I find a lot of us are kind of confused about how we got where we are. We don't know how our life became the life we have. And, And we seem almost at times incapable of just stripping away all the facade and looking at what's real. See, I can tell you that where you are right now is the sum total of the choices you made yesterday. And that the choices that you make right now will be the material from which your future comes. But one of the best ways of being able to assess if you're going where you hope to be going. If you're becoming the person you hope to become. If you want to find a a, a way of gauging the temperature of your soul. And seeing if you're going to create the future you long for. Then you need to look at the people in your life. Because I can look at the people around you and, more, and know more about you than by looking at you. And that's why it's so important to find your tribe. Because you have a tribe, whether you realize it or not. It's just sometimes it's hard to identify your tribe if you're all sinking together. You think you're just a crowd of people who've fallen off of a large ship and you're drowning, but you're not. See, you're in a boat with someone and you're all rowing in a certain direction. And if you're in a boat rowing in a certain direction, you need to make sure the people you're in the boat with are going in the direction you hope to go. But a lot of times we get ourselves in a situation where the people in our life do not describe the future we long for our lives. And I'll talk to so many people who are so frustrated with their lives. They're just so done with the life they've lived, with the person they are, and they want so badly to change And then when you begin to to whittle away at the very causes that have led them to who they are right now and the life they have right now and the choices they must make to live a different life, to be a different person, to live a different future, it always comes down to the people in their life. I, I find it's amazing. Sometimes you go, I want a new life with the same old people. There's a reason why people come together. Why they're drawn to each other. Have you ever noticed that, that depressed people find each other? Negative people find each other? 
Optimistic find, people find each other. Hopeful people find each other. And so you have to decide, what kind of future do I want? What kind of person do I want to become? And are the people in my life, the tribe of people that will carry me forward to the life and the person I'm committed to? If you want a hopeful future, you're not going to get it by being around despairing people. If you want a future free from bitterness, you're not going to find it if you spend your life with people who do not forgive. If you want a future filled with adventure and courage, you will not find that future if you spend your life with people who want security and safety. If you want to know what your future looks like, look at the people you're committed to and who are committed to you. Find your tribe because that's how you will find your future. So it's so important then to realize that, that there are some people in life. Have you ever had people in your life, you just sort of, you know, your role in their life is to pull them up. And sometimes your role in life is to carry them. Sometimes your role in life is to go back, pull them out of the pit, and pull them back up, and bring them along again. Have you ever had people in your life, you know, okay, right now my role in in their life is just to kind of pull them forward? Which is a beautiful thing, but you have to be careful of, though, is that those are not the only kind of people you have in your life. Because if everyone in your life is trapped in the past you do not want, you need to be careful because eventually they'll pull you back to the past you thought you left behind. You have to have enough people in your life whose ropes are attached to you. And they're pulling you forward to the future you're committed to. So if there are more people pulling you forward than there are people pulling you backwards. Now, one of the things I love in the scriptures is, is when... The scriptures pull back the curtain and give you the backstory of someone's success. Because when we think about history, and, and, and not just biblical history, but just, just human history, it's almost as if history, history is about individuals. Napoleon, Caesar, Alexander, Cleopatra. It's as if history was all about individuals, and their unique greatness is what shapes humanity's story. We act as if there was, there was no Egyptian empire behind Cleopatra. There is no Greek empire behind Alexander. There's no Roman empire behind the Caesars. If you ask Napoleon, there may not be any France, but there was a France behind Napoleon. No matter how great a person is, no matter how great their accomplishments, no one on this planet has ever accomplished anything meaningful by themselves. And there's this one particular passage, because one of those people, our Napoleon, our Churchill, our Alexander in the scriptures would probably be David. And David is that iconic person that just seems to be cut from a different material. He's a musician and a warrior. He's an artist and a conqueror. He's a king and a heart player. And in First Chronicles chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, it says this. And this is in the transition. This is in that transition when David knew that he was going to become king of Israel. God had already spoken to him. God had already called him out. God had already anointed him to be king, but he was not king. So I think a lot of times we want God just to give us our future. He might even give you a, a picture of your future. He might allow you to see a glimpse of your future. But your future does not come in an instant. 
Even when you know you're called, even when you know you're created for a particular destiny, there's still a process that has to take place. There's still a challenge in becoming who God called you to be. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. So here you have this transitional period. You have this kingdom led by King Saul. And King Saul no longer lived his life to honor God, to fulfill God's purpose and intention in the world. And so God chose David, who was made after God's own heart. Now, if you wanted to play it safe, you would keep your life committed to King Saul. But if you wanted to be a part of God's future, you would commit your life to David. I think this is the tension that so many of us have in life. We have to decide whether our tribe is Saul or David. Whether we're going to hold on to the past or be a part of creating the future. Whether we're going to lean into the people who are moving forward with God's calling and intention of life, or we're going to stay back with those who are resisting what God is trying to do in the world. And it's so important when we find our tribe, when we choose our people, when we find our people, that we find people who are committed to moving forward in the calling that God has on their life. Because those people are the ones who are going to pull you forward to the calling you have on your life. See, it begins, though, with this word that is not really culturally that popular anymore. You find your tribe when you commit. When you commit. Say that with me. Commit. Yeah. I know. It's, a... <laughs> it's going to be hard tonight at 8 p.m. when everyone's single. <laughs> commit. Because we live in a culture terrified of commitment. We don't even know how to commit to each other anymore. The commitment to marriage is, is just one symptom of a, of a larger crisis that we're terrified of committing to someone. We're terrified of committing to a people, terrified of committing to each other. We're more committed to a cause than we are to a community. Because the cause doesn't let us down, but people will. And that's where these we become so cause-driven. We go from cause to cause to cause. Because we, in our mind, tell ourselves a cause is not a community. It's not a people. It's not a person. But what you find is that those people who live the life God created, those people who maximize their capacity, those people who never settle, they find their tribe. They find their people. And they commit to them. And I, I love the, the, the backdrop of this. Is this day after day, men came to help David. I don't know why we don't make a bigger deal of that. Do you know how hard it is to commit to another human being? Uh, imagine these men who were powerful in their own right, who had talent and gifting and intelligence and courage. They could have claimed their own territories, their own kingdoms, their own futures. But they came day after day to help David become the person God called him to be. To help David to fulfill the purpose God had called him to accomplish. Because without these individuals coming day after day after day, David could have never accomplished what God had called him to do. And I want you to know this, no matter how talented you are, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how awesome you are, you will never accomplish anything great alone. And if you think you did it alone, you are so self-deluded. 
I think it's one of the things I love about watching sports teams is realizing no matter how great the individual is without the team, their talent diminishes. Even in boxing, that seems like a singular, isolated sport, two boxers in a ring, isn't it just about them? Not when you begin to look at the backstory of the managers and the trainers. A boxer can lose his career by having the wrong manager and the wrong trainer. Even when the person gets in the ring by themselves, they did not get there alone. All great accomplishments happen because other people decided to come and help you. They committed their lives to you. So I want you to, first of all, to realize this. God has people waiting to commit to you. I mean, I find it to be so helpful. You ever just feel like, I'm alone, God! Help me! I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Have you ever just felt paralyzed because you're so afraid of the future? Wouldn't it change the way you engage a day if you believed that God had people day by day by day coming into your life to help you? That God was waiting for you to have the courage to step out, waiting for you to, st- to have the courage to become a part of a people, to have the courage to believe that if he calls you, he will also connect you, that there are people coming every day to help you. I mean, it would just change your whole posture to life, wouldn't it? Now, convinced that's a part of what the church is. It's where we commit to each other. It's where we bind our lives and our hearts together. And people are committed to helping one another to accomplish not just their own dreams, but each other's dreams. I know that my life is an endless novel of people who decided to come and help me. Everything I've ever accomplished that people have ever given me credibility for has happened because other people came to help me day by day by day. And they kept coming until he had an army like the army of God. Not the army of God, like the army of God. There is an army that God is putting together to help you become the person you're supposed to be. To live the life you're created to live. To fulfill the destiny that God created you to fulfill. And you need to live your life going, I know they're out there. Wouldn't it change your mind? When you apply for the job? Even if you got no, 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 no. Because God has someone out there that's going to give you the yes. Even when you're like, I feel like I'm alone. No, you're not. You may be alone right now because you haven't moved forward. But God is bringing that person day by day by day. To help you. Who's already committed their lives to you. And you don't even know it. Because they committed to God. They committed to you. But when I flip it the other way too. Has it ever occurred to you that you're supposed to be committed to other people? That your life isn't supposed to be just about the fulfillment of your dreams. And your aspirations. And your purpose. And your intention. That a part of your life is to help someone else fulfill their dreams. And their calling. And their destiny. That God may be actually moving you right now, day by day by day, so you can help someone else. That you're supposed to keep your eyes open and your heart open because you're not in this alone. And you're not in this simply for yourself. You're in this because God is trying to help us all move forward to be the person he created us to be. That's why it's so important to find your tribe. I hear this all the time. People saying, well, you know, I, I just can't find community. In fact, I, I, I hear this even in the healthiest of, uh, of churches. 
I just couldn't find community there. And, and you know what I've come to realize after a while? People who can't find community here, it's not because there's no community here. It's because they don't know how to find community. See, if you're hearing like, I just can't make any friends, that's not because of us. You can't make friends anywhere. Let's just be really honest. Everything's leveraged toward your success here. Because people have given their lives to Jesus, they've just decided to be your friend, even if you're not friendly. Can we just speak truth? You know, like, I don't love you, but I I mean, I don't like you, but I love you. That means I don't like you. Do you know what the church does? It actually brings people together who would never be together. It makes us care about people we would never care about. It causes us to invest in others that we would just ignore. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even probably see each other. We wouldn't care about each other. But now because of what God has done in our life, we are actually committed to one another. And a part of what, what creates a tribe is when you commit to each other. Which means you, you know you're not perfect. You know you're never going to meet a perfect person. That's why people say, well, we should never tell people, come to Mosaic, you're going to make a lot of friends. <laughs> See, I don't know if our responsibility is to help you have friends. I think our responsibility is to help you learn how to be a friend. Because if you learn how to be a friend, you can take that everywhere you go. You can take knowing how to be a friend to work into your community, into your neighborhood. If you relocate and you move and you go across the world to Iowa, and if you're in some foreign land and you're like, what do I do? I have a skill I learned in community how to be a friend. Because if you know how to be a friend, you have exactly what you need to have a friend. But you have to commit. And that's the tricky thing about commitment. We always wait for someone else to commit to us before we commit to them. So you have to decide, are you the more courageous one? Are you the more noble one? Are you the more mature one? Because that's the one who commits before the other. David had men who came to him day by day by day, committed to David's success. We had no promise of their own. And they became like an army. And they came to David to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. See, when you see God working in someone's life, you need to lean in and help that person move forward. That's a part of what we do together. You can be that, that, that straw on the camel's back that's always used as a negative metaphor, and you can turn it to a positive one. You can be that last person who believes in that person, who invests in that person, who supports that person, who encourages that person who moves them into the future that always eluded them and they'd have always longed for. But when I was reading this, I started thinking about Jesus and how he called his early disciples. And so in John chapter 1, I want you to watch the early formation of Jesus' tribe. Because if we have to find our people, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to find his people. He came to find us. Oh, don't forget, say the word with me, commit. commit. Now say that louder, Commit. Second word is invite. Now say that again. Commit. Invite. You want to know how you find your tribe? You commit and you invite. Because there needs to be people you commit your life to. But there also need to be people that don't even know they're a part of your tribe. And you need to bring them into your tribe because they desperately need to belong somewhere. 
And I love how Jesus opened this whole thing up. John writes in verse 35, the next day John, not John the person writing the gospel, John the Baptist. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. I wonder how John felt about that. I think good. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? That must have been terrifying. They said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Can you imagine being Andrew? And you're following John. You're trying to connect to God. You're trying to find your way to life. And then John points to Jesus. He says, there he is. And so Andrew follows Jesus. And it's awkward. And Jesus is like, what do you want with me? He says, I just want to know where you're going. Because I want to be there. And Jesus says, well, come with me. And he says, the very first thing, I love this. The translation says, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon. See, when you find your tribe, the, the way you build a tribe is to not assume everyone who's supposed to be in your tribe is already in your tribe. Because if you're only looking for people who have it all together, you're not understanding how God wants to do this. So Andrew meets Jesus. He starts following Jesus. He goes after his brother Simon. And he says, I found the one we're looking for. And so then Simon comes and Jesus says to Simon, you're no longer Simon. You're now Cephas. You're Peter. You're the rock. If I were Andrew, I would be a little bit irritated. I was here first. Like, followed you first. This is my brother. I brought him. What's my name? It's like Jesus, like, yo, you have a new name. You're now Peter's brother. That's what he says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Would you love spending your entire life? Oh, he was Simon. He's Peter. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I'm Simon Peter's brother. That's my new name. You know what I noticed? Is that one of the patterns in the scriptures is that when a person found life in Jesus, their instantaneous response was to bring someone else to that life. See, when you find your tribe, you not only commit, but you invite. Because when you find your tribe, when you find your people, when you found life, when you found what you're searching for, when you've connected to the God who has given you hope and meaning and joy and peace and life itself, you don't keep it to yourself. And you don't envy what God does in someone else's life through you. Now, once you see this pattern, it doesn't just happen once. It goes on. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip, following Jesus, found Nathanael and told him. Do you see how it's spreading? So Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? 
Can anything good come from there? It's like Riverside. <laughs> if you're from Riverside, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, <laughs> Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And so now you're Philip and you're following Jesus. And you're so overwhelmed by the fact that God has stepped into human history, that God himself has taken on flesh and blood, that God has fulfilled his promise, that you go and you find Nathaniel, but Nathaniel's under a fig tree. You're like, come on, I found what we're looking for. And Nathaniel's not even open to it. He says, there's no way. Because I'm telling you, I know he's from, he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I'm not going. You can just come with me. Philip has to drag Nathaniel there. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't even talk about Philip. So good job, Philip. Way to find Nathaniel under the fig tree. He just starts talking to Nathaniel. Here's a man without deceit. See, if I'm Philip, like, what, what, what about me? I got a little deceit, but I found Nathaniel. You ever felt like God just keeps overlooking you? You just see someone else? So you know what I love about this movement that Jesus starts? When a person finds life, they're, they're eager, even desperate, to share that life with the people in their life. To invite becomes a natural part of the tribe. Philip didn't care that Jesus highlighted Nathaniel as a man without guile, without deceit. He celebrated that the person he loved met the one who is love. See, Andrew never felt as if he was somehow shortchanged because Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Because that's exactly what love does. It compels you to share it and give it away to other people. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done in your life that you had to invite? You had to invite. You had to invite. We were at a party last night, and our friend Felix, who you know, usually sits here in the front row as a skateboarder, and we're walking down the sidewalk, and he goes, bro, you like pizza, right? He goes, you know I like pizza. And then he goes, well, I, I'm going to take you to the best pizza in L.A. And he names the place. I don't even remember it. And I said, you sure? It's the best pizza in L.A. He goes, yeah. I said, no, nah, I know pizza. Like, I used, to, I used to make pizzas. I used to train people to make pizzas. I'm a pizza connoisseur. I know how to make the dough. I know how to make it all. Don't lie to me. I have to go to New York for real pizza. And he goes, no, no. He goes, like, what, what's your favorite place? And he goes, what's well, either this place? And then he, I can tell you, I got little, or this one. He goes, I got two places in L.A., the best pizza in L.A. I said, all right, I'll let you take me there. He goes, you just tell me we got time. I'll bring you a pie. And I said, okay. And I thought, man, this guy believes in pizza. <laughs> See, Felix has found pizza that changed his life. We're walking down the sidewalk in downtown LA. He's just talking. We just finished eating. He's still talking about pizza. 
Like, I want to take you to Pizza Irwin. Pizza has changed my life. And, I, and it occurred to me today that Felix was more passionate about pizza than many of us are about Jesus. Because he, he, he tasted of the pizza that changed everything for him. And now he must have me experience it as well. He cannot keep it to himself. Isn't it odd that some of us believe in the power of food or sports or entertainment more than we believe in the power of God to change a person's life? If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, what in the world is keeping you from inviting? When we were baptizing, I guess last week, we were standing outside and this really intelligent, good-looking, sharp uh, man was standing there about to get baptized. And so I just started talking to him and it was his first time here. And honestly, in my brief in, interaction with him, I thought, this guy just has it all together. This guy is like really making it happen in his life. And he goes, no, I was talking to my mom and she said, I need to find like a church. So I came here. And then in a few moments, he shared with me how he... He had tried to end his life at least four times in the last couple of weeks. And I, yeah, I would have never known that just looking at him. I would have never known that in just the opening conversation. If he had not just opened up his soul and shared that with me, I would have walked away thinking he was doing really, really well. See, I, I think what happens is that a lot of us forget what, what, what Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel and Simon all knew. That the human spirit is longing for a connection to God. And without the God who loves us, we are broken and fragmented and empty. Find your tribe, but don't just find it in here. Commit to the people in here. And then commit to the people out there and invite. Open your life to them. If Jesus has given you hope, then share that hope. If Jesus has given you meaning, then share that meaning. If Jesus has given you life, then share that life. Because if... If they don't see it in you, where will they ever see it at all? You know? And I was at um, a grand opening for an event this, this week. One of my friends who's a designer had like a private um, installation of his new products. And so I went over there and it was jam-packed with people and and he showed up and came over and hugged me. We started talking. And he said, come to the back. And went to the back. And all these people are trying to vie for his time. And, and I, was, I, I felt bad that he was like just spending time with me. And, and when other people tried to interrupt us, he goes, I'm talking to everyone. Like, He's talking to me. You know? And then people would go, hey, can I talk to you? He goes, no, right? I, Erwin and I have, have some things we have to talk about. He just kept sending people away. Except he would say, oh, by the way, Erwin's the author of The Last Arrow, and, and people would take photographs of the book, and, and, and then they'd send him away. And we kept talking, talking, and he said, I need to meet with you. And at first, I actually thought he was talking about like, needing my help with, with thinking through the inspiration for his next line or, or marketing. Or, I, I didn't really understand at first. And, 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 I, and I said, well, you know, I have a great team. I have a great design team. We're happy to help in any way. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes... This isn't about marketing. This is about my soul. Because I need you to do what you do. I need you to go inside of my soul. <laughs> and, uh, and help me because I feel like I'm trapped in there. I can't, I can't seem to, to find who's in there and, and let them out. I just, I need your help. And I was looking at this person that I love. 
who doesn't know Jesus yet, yet. He's already my tribe. He's already my people. He's my family. He's my community. He just doesn't know it yet. See, I understand what motivated Andrew, what motivated Philip. I understand what motivated him to move them. Because once you find life, as your heart opens to people, you want them to know that life too. And then Peter wrote these words. I want you to listen to them in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, who was Simon, who's now the rock. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone. It's not incidental that Peter uses this metaphor, since he's little stone. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, Hear Peter saying, he called me the rock. He called me a stone. But I'm telling you, that's not just for me. It's your name too. You are all living stones. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Then verse 9 he goes on, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying, find your people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Understand who your people are. Understand what God is doing when he brings you together and makes you a people. You see, you've always been a person, but now we're a people. Because what we can do together is so much more than what we could ever do alone. And the way that we move together when we find our tribe is that we commit our lives to each other. We know we're imperfect. We know we'll mess up. We know that we're going to let each other down. We know we'll never live up to the highest standard, but we're going to keep committing our lives to each other. We're going to stay in the struggle together. We're going to do the hard work of loving and being and living in community together. We're going to open our lives up to other people, and our core theme is going to be invite, 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 invite. I, I don't even know anymore what to do. I have people come up to me and go, you know what I like about Mosaic? It's, 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 it's not too big. I'm going to go, what? You, what you like about Mosaic is that we're small enough for you. What is wrong with us if you have what the world desperately needs? We should be broken hearted that we're too small. We need to commit and invite, and then we need to build. Because God is building us together. You also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Did you know that you were being built into a spiritual house? Not by yourself. That just makes you a brick. But when we're together, we're a brick house. That's old school. 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Why? Because the world desperately needs a place called home. And so brick by brick, God brings us together to build the spiritual house. So those who are not a people have become a people. Those who had not known mercy, find mercy. Those who never had a place to belong, have a place to belong. And I know that his imagery here is not about buildings. It's about humans. But there's something powerful that happens when we humans come together as family. When we decide to commit to each other. When we decide to open our lives to the world and invite them to discover what we've discovered. When we decide to build together. To build together. A house so that people can have a home. When we come together, something beautiful happens. Love becomes thick. Acceptance becomes palatable. Community becomes real. When we come together, we become a people. See, you, you need God. But that's not the way God designed you to just need God. He designed you and he designed me for us to need each other. And when you find God, it doesn't make people less important in your life. It actually makes people more important in your life. Because I can tell you, I can see your future through your people. And when we commit to each other, man, something happens. When you get around people who are full of faith, you start getting full of faith. When you start living your life walking together with people full of hope, you start living full of hope. When you get around people who are full of joy, let me tell you, when you get around people who know how to enjoy life, who know how to laugh, who know how to sing, who know how to celebrate, you begin to laugh and sing and celebrate. Some of you, the healing your soul needs is only going to come in community. Because what you need is the room to overwhelm you with the good. So it fills you enough that you can take it with you wherever you go. Kim just built a a wall in our house. It's a brick wall in our bedroom. And uh, it actually looks pretty cool. But the guys who built it, they took some shortcuts. They, uh, they, They put these lamps on the brick walls and these sockets on the brick walls and nah, they didn't bother to connect electrical. <laughs> so the lights don't work and the outlets don't work and the sockets don't work and electrical doesn't work. Now, oh, that looks so good. It's probably going to have to come down if we want to turn the lights on. See, some of you have spent your life building a house with no light. You spent your life putting the bricks up with no power. And you're terrified that you're going to have to, if you let God in your life, he's going to take some of the bricks down. And you know what? Let me be honest. He may have to take a hammer to your house so he can build a house that stands. But he doesn't want your house to be a shell. He wants to be warm and he wants to be full of light and he wants to be full of power. He doesn't want you to just look good on the outside. He wants you to work on the inside. And maybe what you need more than anything in life right now is to say, Jesus, 
I've built a house with bricks, but I need you to build this with living stones. I need you to take what I've built, and if you need to, just tear it all down and build my life in the way that you know I need to live. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply to your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.